0: Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ has laid hold of me. The degree by which you're able to snatch up the things of the kingdom is equal to the degree that you have given your life to the Lord and He has laid hold of you. It is not good enough to come to church and pray prayers that you can get more of the kingdom than you're willing to let God get of you. God, it, it, life is a choice. You can believe in Him and He can... T- the, the disciples talked about this. They said that there were multiple fillings, meaning were leaky vessels. And there are things in our life, even at the point of believing, even though you've received the Spirit, there is things we have added to our life that take ownership of our life. And God is saying, I want that spot. I want that thing. And in our ability to release those things to God and let Him take residence of that part of our house, then we are able to lay hold of things that we've been praying for for years. I was thinking about, in basketball, when I played basketball in high school, they would, we would do, towards the end of the game, we're a few points away, we would do a full court press. Meaning we wouldn't wait till they passed the half court line to begin to put pressure on the opponent, but we would press them as hard as we could as soon, as all the way to the line. He's saying, this is how I want you to live your life. Not lackadaisical waiting for God to come to you, But pressing into him with your whole life, eager to make a connection with him. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of mutilation, for we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Listen, no confidence in the flesh. How does God have more of you? There are some of you here today who would say God can't have more of you. That's, That's not theologically correct. You have confidence in the flesh. There's, things, there's more that he can have of you. And so we need to release those things to him. Though I also may have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. And he begins to, to list these things. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, I know this isn't 12, but I'm, I'm doing it anyway, right? Of Hebrew concerning the law of Pharisees concerning zeal persecute the church concerning the righteousness which is the law blameless but what things were gained to me these I have counted lost for Christ he's saying all of these things that I've accomplished with my life according to the flesh are the treasures of the wasted life they're but he said they're but a dunghill they're a rubbish they're they're dung to me. And be found in them, not being, having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but which is through the Christ Jesus. Now jump into 12. Now that I have, Not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on. There's that press again. That I may lay hold of that which Christ has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press on to the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore... Let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk to that. Same rule, let us be of that same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us. Everybody say us. For a pattern. For many. Everybody say many. Many. Walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they, everybody say they, They. are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is their shame who set their mind on earthly things for our citizenship is in heaven from which we, everybody say we, we, eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus who will ransom our, everybody say our, lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the workings by which he is able to subdue all things to himself that's a mouthful that's why I've been preaching on it for four weeks this is the fifth week this is my fifth point of this sermon which has three points subpoints in it <laughs> because I have to finish this week and so good luck I have like seven pages we don't know how far we'll get but we'll see what happens Everybody uh, wants to make the gospel a personal one. We live in a culture where everything's about us. Everything's about me, it's not about us. Did you catch that? How, when he speaks to the church of Philippi, it's us, it's we, it's them, it's their, it's they when he's speaking to them about how to function, he does not speak to an individual, but rather he speaks to the corporate body. A man or a woman all by themselves is not a true depiction of who God is, but as it is us in fellowship with one another that really truly glorifies God as we are one and function together. We live in an individualistic generation and society. We think about us. Uh, what's that song by Toby Keith? Um, yeah, well, how does it go? It goes uh, I'm gonna pause here because I want to remember like I feel like the Holy Spirit might have drop a secular song in there for the glory of God. Um I'm your I'm your, uh, your baby. Yeah, I want to talk about. Oh my! Oh, I mean my! Oh, I mean my! Here, sing it. Here, sing it. Just real quick, just it. real quick, Just real quick. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about? I. I want to talk about number one. Oh my! Me my. Yeah. 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 That's good. Yeah, that's good. Well done. Well done. I. It's not like I listened to it a lot, but I think I heard it one time or something. I was like, I was like, yeah, that about depicts our church nowadays. Why do y'all come back here? Like every every week, like the whole week, I think, oh well, that was the last time you're gonna have this church. I hope you like working construction construction for a living. And then y'all come back. I just but listen, I think God's trying to call us out of the me mentality into the we mentality. That's the gospel. Like like it encourages my heart to be a part of a church that actually cares about their neighbor that can actually love their neighbor as themselves you know why because you love god first when you love god with all your heart that's the first lo- rule love god with all your heart so you can be empowered to love your neighbor as yourself and and i feel like you guys are finally getting it now you get okay i love god with all my heart now i can love that crotchety neighbor that drives me crazy I couldn't do it on my own strength. I wanted to stab a brother and a sister, but now God God has given me the strength to love the unlovable. Love the unlovable. Like life will get you annoyed. You know why you're annoyed all the time? Because it's about you. Oh, man, come on. I'm I'm not preaching at you like that was in my journal this week, and I was like, God, that's not nice. (laughs) It's not nice. Don't do that to me. Like I love you and I've served you with my life. He's like, you still got problems, man. You think about you so much. Our emotional state of being is a true depiction of whether or not it's about us or it's about we. We don't know how to navigate through life. People have become an inconvenience. I want you to know God put people there to reveal things in you you would never see if you were by yourself. Part of your holiness is going to be revealed to the people he puts in your life. The church, we have people that will, that will tarry with the church until they become inconvenienced by the church and they'll hop to the next church. And some people have never really become holy because they've never really persevered and tarried with anybody long enough to be known and to know others. And the first time there's a disagreement, they run instead of doing life and, being, and having the rough edges of their life sharpened off and the rough edges of that other person's life sharpened up. We don't stick it out and do life because we it is all about our convenience and our comfort and what we can get. And I want you to understand, thank God we're not a church that's like that. I'm not saying they don't come in and go. Because they do. I'm not thinking of anybody specific. I'm just saying it happens everywhere in the world. But I think God is shifting our mindset. God has called us, just, for the, just so you note takers, so you don't have a, a coronary. This, the title of my sermon is, Devoted To. I'm going to talk about what that is. Devoted To. What are you devoted to? If you want to live a life that counts for something, for the kingdom of God, you've got to be devoted to something specific. I want to talk about what that is today. Yes, of course, we meet Him individually but we don't continue in Him individually. I come that I can be we, that we can become Him. There's only room for one person, and that one person is Christ. So the I becomes the we, that the we can become the Him. I become the we, he has brought to, he brings us into the family of God and we are the body of Christ. I become the we that we can become the him and when you don't understand the importance of the we you can never truly be the image of Christ into the world. It is more than just about you. God has called us to be the we. And when we are the we, the way that he intended, we are the body of Christ into the world. You're not simply the body of Christ because you're saved. You're the body of Christ because we have decided to become the we. We value each other in community. We see each other in community. And we understand that everybody has their gifting that is not like my gifting. One of these things is not like the other. What is wrong with me today? <laughs> why, why, why do we want everybody to be like us? Dear God, that would be boring if everybody was like me. Everybody would be... Anyway. <laughs> we, we only need one of me around here so that you know right now. The reason God put Brooke in my life is to balance out... Stuff. Stuff. <laughs> You ask then, who can be saved? When we hear this kind of living, that that to truly demonstrate this, who can be saved? When, When we read the book of Acts and we understand the importance of the church and the way that salvation impacted the church and the community of the church and how the supernatural fell when all the needs were met, when they were fellowshipping, when they were breaking bread, when they were praying, when the needs were being met, then God showed up in a supernatural way. How can we do this? You can't. You cannot live this kind of life on your own. Nobody can. So he says to the disciples, Go to Jerusalem and tell you are endued with power from on high. Now that I preached the kingdom of you for three years and I overcame the grave. You know that you cannot live this kingdom lifestyle on your own, in your own strength, according to your own uh, knowledge and intellect, according to your own uh, uh, you know, uh, wisdom, but you need the Spirit to empower you. He says, so i got to get it in you to live it through you. God forbid that we take the Holy Spirit which is the third person of the Godhead which is the creative force of the universe which is the voice of God the spirit of glory to the Lord of all created things and we demean him down to be a simple experience where we feel goosebumps and we feel moved in his spirit. That is not what he is. He is not an encounter for you. He is a Person that He lives in your life and guides you through your life. This We need to stop chasing encounters and we need to have encounter with the personhood of the Spirit. He is a person. And He dwells in you. He tabernacles with you. If you have to go somewhere to encounter Him, you don't understand that He's already in you. He's everywhere you go. He isn't at a church service. He's in your car when you're in your car. He's in your house when you're in your house. He's in your bathroom when you're in your bathroom. Everywhere you go, there he is. You can't get away from him. He's in the dark. He's in the light. He's everywhere. He's in the pool. He's in the shower. When you're singing, he's singing along with you. When you're praying, he's correcting your prayer and translating it to God so you can get what you actually need and maybe not what you're asking for. He's a punk like that. He is a punk like that, but it's true. Some of you want to chase a movement and an experience and a goosebump, but I came to tell you, sometimes the Holy Spirit won't make you feel what you're desiring to feel. Sometimes He will He will humble you. Sometimes He will teach you about peace. Be careful about praying for peace. He takes the rough edges of our life and brings us into His glory. You say, I got it, I got it. It's not an it. He's a person. And when he fills us, he doesn't fill us to make us feel good. He doesn't fill us to renew our dead denomination. He doesn't fill us so that we can see the supernatural and brag on what he's done in our church and how he's healed people and delivered people. He doesn't do it for that purpose. He fills us because he says, I want you to live differently. And you don't have what it takes. So I got to get it in you so I can live it through you. And so people can see the glory of God demonstrated beyond the deeds of men. We couldn't be, we, listen, God said this, I want you to be like me. But we couldn't be like God. I mean, read the Old Testament. They tried and they failed. And no matter how hard you try, you can't be good enough. You can't be God enough. We couldn't become like God, so God became man that we could be like God. We come into the church not to strive or to compete or to fight, not to try and be better than the next persons, not to compare ourselves with each other, not to compare our church with the church down the street. We're not trying to put on a better show in here with the music and the lights and the ropes. You're like, God, that is the devil. <laughs> and our material and our website and our gear and our coffee. I am a coffee snob, a little, just a little bit. I'm just a little <laughs> bit of a coffee snob. It's not about all that. It's about the spirit in you getting out of you, living through you, consuming you there are some parts of your life that the Spirit hasn't taken residence of yet. I'll just be honest with you. He ain't going to kick down the door to get that thing. He's not going to kick down the door to get your habit. He's not going to kick down your door to get those things. But if you would get those things to Him, He would give you something much greater in return than that thing you think is so precious. And sometimes we go to big things like addictions and things like that. Some of you, some of you in here today, It's always the person sitting to your right and left, never you, of course. But there's somebody in here today has an attitude that needs to be changed. And if you'd give that to him, he could change your life, your family's life, your, 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 your friend's life. He could change the whole culture of your world. He could reshape your thinking. But some of us have created idols and we much like the people of yesterday in the Old Testament are dancing around the idols of our life, acting a fool, all naked and crazy. And we think that it's awesome, and it's not. God has promised, listen to this. I read this article today, or this week, and it was by Barna that did a study. Some of you don't know who Barna is. It's a churchy dude who does a lot of polls and junk, right? And so he does a lot of church studies and found out that in the U.S., in the U.S., if you take all the churches, like they, they did a study on ch- churches in communities. So like, for instance, Pleasant Hill has around 8,500 people. Maybe it's more now because, you know, that's, I'm still stuck on that, and they don't change signs all the time. So somewhere around 8,500 people. Got me? Um, now, we've added to the population because people come to our church have moved here, so I don't even know, like I know there's more, but um, 8,500 people. And then if you take all the churches that are in town here, if they were entirely full on a Sunday... If they were totally full, if all the churches were totally full, it would only be 10% of the population. That is on average. That's average. That's average. So there are some cities that's a little bit more, but if every single chair was full every single Sunday morning in every single church in this community, it would only be 10% of the population. Yet we're fighting over people. Churches are jockeying to get people in their church we talk bad about other people in the fellowship I'm, I'm preaching real good right now we, we say our church we have attitude that says our church is better than their church stop it it is not better. Our belief is not better. They don't believe wrong and we believe right. People, they are a part of the body of Christ. It is not me and I. It is us and we. And we have to get beyond our disagreements and we have to understand we're in this together and there's plenty of people in this community to go around and fill our churches. When, we, when we, we've had people leave our church in groups, oh, it just happens in every church, just so you know. It's like, well, what happened here? I would like to know the information. It's juicy details, you know? It's like, it happens, and then they pop over to other church, and God began, I began to go, oh, great. Uh, we're, we're single-handedly growing churches in the community by running people off. That's great, that's, that's great, that's great. I didn't know I was going to evangelize other churches. I thought I was going to evangelize my church. And God said, you're building the kingdom. This is not about echo. And this is not about you, buddy. Listen to me. It's about us. We have to stop being so territorial. Like I hate it when Maggie, when I walk Maggie because I can't walk her three steps without her marking her spot. And then she'll walk another three steps. I'm like, how much do you got in there? You got like a reserve tank? Like what in the world? And every three steps she marks her spot. It's just so annoying, but that's what we do in the church. Ain't nobody can even, no one can walk a life for Christ because you're too busy marking your spot. You No one really gets anywhere because you're too busy marking your spot. We mark our territory as women. We mark our territory as men. We mark our territory in the church. We mark our territory in regards to our gifting. It is about us and it's about what we do and it is our area. And don't encroach on what God has called me to do. Listen, it is us and we, not I and me. That wasn't even on my notes. I like that. I don't even know how I'll get that in second service. So congratulations. <laughs> you got a bonus. Listen, do you know that God didn't promise us 10%? So here's the thing. In the Bible, God gave us a promise that he said, he said this. He said that 25% I promise to the churches that you can have 25% of your community. I promise that, that you can have 25% and that will be good ground. He said one-fourth fell on good ground. One fell on thorny ground and was choked. One fell, 25% fell on ground that was dried, and another 25% fell on a ground that a foul came and ate away. But one-fourth, 25%, fell on good ground. So if an average of 10% can fill the church if every chair was full, we have another 15% we can get once we get to the 10%. And I want to let you know we hadn't got to the 10% in this community yet. So, so, so we're going to run multiple services. Why do we have multiple services? Because we got more percentages to bring into the house of God. And we are going to begin doing it. And I, let me tell you, and other churches are going to begin doing it. I'm claiming 25% because he's promised 25% for our community. We will at least win 25% of this community to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Listen, that's a little over 2,000 people. It's mixed between all churches. They don't all have to come here. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. But I'm claiming it for all the churches. For We are the church. I'm claiming it. God promised it, and we're going to get it. We're going after it. But you got to become the body of Christ out there in your world. We can claim, that's, that's, that's good news. Everybody, everybody just give me a fake shout or something. Just I mean, just come on, help a brother out. Oh, my word, 25%. The best example of the kingdom is when a woman comes and breaks an alabaster box at Jesus' feet. And when she breaks the box and pours the alabaster offering on his feet, the first thing the disciple says is, that could have been used for the poor. This is a waste. And Jesus says, the poor you have with you always. But Jesus says, wherever you go I want, and wherever you preach, I want you to preach this story. He does not tell them to preach about Lazarus, although that will preach. He does not tell them to preach about Jesus walking on water, although that will preach. He does not tell them to preach about the blind man at the pool of Bethesda, although I preach that. He does not tell them to preach all those things. One thing, the one thing that Jesus tells them to preach is about a story of extravagant waste. Come on now, I'm bringing it home. Stick with me. And Paul said, all of these things are treasures of the wasted life. It seems great, but I'm willing to give it all to gain Christ. It isn't worth it for me. And some of us have to make a decision this morning that all these things we treasured and valued, that we will pour it at his feet with an extravagant heart of wastefulness because all of it is but dung to us in comparison to who Christ is. That's beautiful. And he said, preach this message. And that's what Paul preached. The story of extravagant waste. Oh man, come on now. Some of us... He said, I believe and fear that some... Some of those who claim my name in the future will be so inward focused that extravagance and wasteful living and wasteful worship. When they say, my God, we could have been home. We could have been watching the Super Bowl. That was personal right there. It doesn't take long to have a service or an encounter with God. Why is this lasting so long? We can meet him in 10 minutes. Why are we tearing in the presence of God? He showed up when we got here. He's omnipresent. Don't you dare use a theological statement to excuse yourself from cherishing him above the things of this world. Well, I'm getting personal now, aren't I? It doesn't take all of that. It doesn't take all that worship, Sean. It doesn't take all that music. It doesn't take all that preaching. It doesn't take all that time. It doesn't take that, all that prayer. It doesn't take all that. God says when you go tell the story, I want you to tell it because there are always someone listening while you're telling the story that has something that's more important than me that they've prioritized over me in their life. And I want you to talk about the wasteful life. You thought Lazarus was bad. You thought the blind man, at the pool of Bethesda, was the blind man, at the pool of Bethesda, was bad. You thought me walking on water was bad. I didn't tell you to preach that. I told you to preach extravagant waste because my people get to the place in their worship and their life is wasteful. When my people get to the place in their worship, when their life is wasteful, people will look at that and say. I don't get it. I know, I know sometimes you got to go home. I know that. L- but listen to me today. Why is it that the church and our time with God, we will, we will sacrifice that first before all other things? Oh, listen to me. Such a large percentage of the church has no problem driving in ice to get to their job, and they'll never miss. But if it's a threat of snow, you ain't coming to church. It shows what you think about God. And what is a priority in your life? Well, I need to be responsible. Let me tell you, baby. Let me tell you, your job will fade away and your paycheck will no longer be here, but you will live with him for all eternity. And I came here today to say that the same sacrifice you live for the things of the world, you best be submitting to, you, to God. Well, I want my kids to be in this sporting event, and I want my kids to be able to use their talents, and I want my kids to be able to do this so they can miss church, they can miss that, they can miss small group, they can miss youth group, and they don't have to come Sunday because they got tournaments. And I came here today to say you're teaching them how to prioritize things that God said should be kingdom-minded, and you have put the flesh above the things of God. There's a reason back in the day that they didn't schedule things on Wednesday like games. But see the church doesn't care about having a standard anymore and you say you've let them do that because you've taken your kids to games on Wednesdays and they you have you, our choice to not we consider God waste and we value the things of this earth more. You've called in because your back ached and you didn't take your kids to school and you've called in because your kids were sick. When's the last time you called in to your babysitter and said, I'm praising the God and praying and I need a little more time. Sometimes we need to call it in and let our kids wait a little bit because God is more important than our kids. That's good stuff. I'm preaching real good. Why is it that the kingdom always suffers? Why is it that God is always last when it comes to your tithe? Why do you pay your visa payment first and God last, if at all? I'm just going to let that one set just a little bit and simmer, slow roasted. Why is it that God takes the short, gets the short end of the stick and the moment we want healing, we wonder why He tarries? Oh, I'm going to get emails on that one. <laughs> but I'm prepared. I'm prepared. When we want the supernatural, we wonder why he tarries. I'll tell you why he tarries. Because we are not living a wasteful, extravagant light life for the kingdom of God. I had a friend that... I, go ahead and put this picture up there. I, I, I didn't do it in the right spot, but how many of you know that I didn't pass preaching, so. Look at this. Route 666. That way. It actually says public boat landing. That's a dock where you fish off of and ski off of. That's Route 666, and the church is that way. You not believe how many. There's a cemetery. Oh, shoot, there sure is. <laughs> That's, I didn't notice that. Um, um, I totally forgot what in the heck I was talking about. You have so many choices in your life of what route you're going to take, of what route you will take <laughs> in your life. Okay, I had a friend. I had a friend It's a pastor friend of mine, total firecracker like me. Last thing we need, the reason we started adding a bunch of people to our group of friends because him and I were going to blow up the world and not in a good way. Not in a good way. And I'm a firecracker and he's a firecracker and I've done stuff like this, but I'm not going to tell a story about me because he'll make me look bad and I'll, so I'll tell a story about him. And just know I'm a kind of a lot like him, so I could see me totally doing this. But he, uh, he had, a, he had a man that had been coming to his church for several years and, and then just came to his office one day and said, hey, I just want to let you know I'm not being in church anymore. I love God. I love you. I love our fellowship. But I really need to have family time, and Sunday's is the only time that I have to do that. Which route are you going to take? And so that pastor decided not to preach that Sunday morning. He had somebody fill the pulpit, and he showed up over at his house. Knocked on the door at 9 o'clock in the morning. No one answered, knocked on the door. No one answered, knocked on the door. No one answered, knocked on the door again and started yelling outside the house because he's a firecracker. Eventually they came stumbling to the door, wiping the sleepies out of their eyes. The wife was standing in the background with her hair all disheveled saying, who is that? That's how they were spending their family time. That's it, that's the end of the story. (laughs) He said, I just grinned. I said, so I guess this is how you're spending your family time. And he walked away. That guy was there next Sunday. Because sometimes we blame our family and excuse ourselves from seeking our God. And I want you to know, men, it's your job to lead your family to God. Don't you excuse yourself from doing your role and use your family as an excuse because we know that if you seek God, your family will be blessed by your pursuit of Him. You need to do a full court press on God. Acts 2.42. Acts 2.42. Let's look at this. I think. No, that's not it. Let's look it up. It says this. It says of the apostle, it says of the church in Acts, of the church in Acts. And they continued steadfastly in what? The apostles' doctrine or teaching and fellowship. Okay, the apostles' doctrine or teaching, that's first thing. You can write that down. Fellowship, that's the second thing. And in what? Breaking of bread, that's the third thing. And then what? Prayer. Those are the four things. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. I want to talk about they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. See, apostolic anointing has gifts that bring sound doctrine. A church will not grow spiritually when it is basing its preaching on unsound doctrine. Why? Because if I have a poor view of him, then my worship is not adequate. Let me tell you something. Jehovah Witnesses worship. Let me tell you something, the Mormon church worships. Let me tell you something, Buddhists worship. The problem is they don't know who they worship. Their theology and their teaching is wrong, so their worship is inadequate. So the first thing we need in the church is we need sound doctrine. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. They didn't continue in the pastors' doctrine. They didn't continue in the teachers' doctrine. I'm gonna list them all. They didn't continue in the evangelist doctrine. They didn't continue in the pro- pro- prophetic doctrine. They continued in the apostolic doctrine. Are all of those necessary for the building and the, full, the, and the full growing up and maturing of the saints? Absolutely. But they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. When, when the church first started, they didn't even have doctrine. They just believed. Doctrine was a necessary prerequisite for lies being told. And so apostolic doctrine was actually created in the early church to combat lies. It began to tear down the, the natural infrastructure that God came to create. And so because of that, the apostles were established to 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 combat poor doctrine. You you can get a poor doctrine real easily by a good teacher if they're not basing it on apostolic doctrine. And their heart is good, but they'll take people away from apostolic doctrine and they continue in teaching, but they leave the apostolic kingdom mindset. Us we. People that are out of line with apostolic doctrine typically are inward focused. And so God, and I'm not saying that we, we should, people with apostolic giftings today shouldn't start new doctrines, but we should confront doctrines that are taking people off course and redirect them back to the, to the original apostles' doctrine of the church. You understand what I'm saying? And so we have a responsibility. And listen, this requires for us to submit one to another and value each other. And, and that's why we got to be learned, people. we got to be learned. I tell pastors all the time, an index to the success of your ministry will be found in your library. You're going to have to stretch yourself. You're going to have to read, guys, whether you like it or not. If you're, if you're in here today and we're, we're starting a Bible study in our small groups and we're beginning to expand uh, commentaries and other uh, scholarly writing and those that are historicals and historians and New Testament scholars and Old Testament scholars and philosophers, um, Jewish philosophers, Hebrew philosophers, uh, Greek scholars... We're beginning to open our understanding, but some of us need to begin reading people like Brueggemann or Bart, or Bonhoeffer or Tillich. We need to begin reading these people that help us actually come up to a new dimension of thinking. There are people out there that I'm not talking about the charismatic section at Barnes and Noble. I'm talking about scholars. I'm talking about philosophers. I'm talking about people who will stretch the way you think. See, some of us want to read things that we can agree with, and none of us want to be stretched very much, and we have our opinion, and we can't. Listen, if you can't get out of the box of what you've always been taught, you'll never go to new dimensions with God, because he will always get you out of the box, and right when you think you understand who he is, he's like, "Ah, I moved, baby. I'm over here. So you can't put God in a box. The box is in God. You put yourself in the box in God and you only see a small dimension of who he is. Oh, that's better than you think it is. And they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. We got to begin to expand our thinking. These are great men and thinkers who challenge people to another dimension of faith. Listen, Peter was uneducated. He wrote two books. Paul educated, changed the face of the church. Well, I can't go to seminary. That costs too much and it takes too much of my time. You don't need to go to seminary. Listen to what Paul says. Paul says, Three things I need when he's in prison. He says, Timothy, bring me my coat, bring me my parchments, and bring me my books. Three things are requisite for any successful ministry. Make sure my body is covered. Make sure my physical man is taken care of. Give me something to write on because I'm a thinker. And God does not use dummies. You must press the boundaries. You must put a full court press on discovering who God is. You will never experience God in the box you've been raised in. And then he says, bring me my books because if I pour out, I need to pour back in. The laziest group of people I've ever met in my life are preachers because they're constantly pouring out but never taking time to pour back in. And it is time, and let me tell you, it is time that we begin to invest in ourselves so the effectiveness of our life, our parenting, our discipleship, our pastoring, our lives will impact others. You need to continually pour in so that you can be used for His glory. Your library is an index to the future of your ministry. your library is an index to the future of your life. Your library is an index to the future of your gifting. Then he said, you should continue in the apostles' doctrine and you should continue in fellowship. It is impossible for the church to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish on our own. I'm gonna bust down through this because we gotta get this done. Fellowship is absolutely requisite to the supernatural. Why? Why did God present Himself in three distinct persons? Why? Because God cannot be love. Love cannot be love without an object to love. Why is fellowship necessary? Because you will never ever deal with the real issues on your in your life on your own. You know why people come in your life because they manifest things in you that you didn't even know were there. You ever, you ever? I had this. I listened to the sermon. It talked about that we should be, we should take in people. We should give our shirt off. Bracket. I was like, man, I do that. I'm giving. I'm selfless. I'd do that. I'd give my shirt off my back. That same day, a friend of mine came and asked if he could live with me. Not stay for a vacation, live with me. I was like, sure, because I'm like Jesus. I didn't say that, but I thought it. I was like, you can move in. You can have this space. We'd love to have you here. It's great. Well, I'm going to pay you. I don't need you to pay me. I'm just glad to open my home to you. And then he came home from work and was really sweaty Sweaty, sweaty, came home, popped down on the couch, put the two cushions right up under his armpits, dear God help us, and snuggled right up into that couch. And at that moment, I realized I was not as holy as I thought I would. (laughs) And neither was my wife. Neither was my wife. She wasn't either. i just let you know. And God, God taught me something that day that no matter how holy you think you are, God will always put somebody in your life that will help you realize you aren't like Jesus as much as you think you are. And before you push them out of your life, you need to understand God put them there to make you like Him. Oh my gosh. So don't run them away too quick. I'm preaching to myself right now. Woo, woo! I'm telling you right now because I can make people leave real quick so I can be comfortable. Sometimes God will put a thorn right up in there and sometimes it's a person and he'll say, can't pray that one away because that one's for my glory. (laughs) How many of you have ever met somebody that you know was a thorn for your glory, for his glory? Amen. Preach it, preach it, brother. Preach it, preach it like you've never preached it. Fellowship is a necessary requisite for the kingdom of God. <laughs> I want to say this. I want to say this. He says, This is very important. He says, I want you to break bread. So when it's fellowship, I want you to break bread. It is interesting that he uses the word breaking of bread here uh, next. He said, I want you to have fellowship and I want you to break. I want you to continue as Pastor Don. I want you to fellowship and I want you to have break bread. I'm, I'm, I'm hurrying. It is interesting that he uses the word breaking of bread. It says, it's Eucharistia, a toy. The breaking of bread. A toy is bread this is actually a reference being made to communion and community. Today, we are served little sterile wafers that we can just pop in there. But he's saying, I want you to gather for the breaking of bread. Didache in 76 AD says this, Let there be one cup and one loaf of bread. Then this is the prayer they prayed at the Eucharist. Heavenly Father, as you gathered the wheat from the four corners of the earth to make one loaf, so gather your church scattered among the nations that we may do have fellowship one with another. He said, don't give me your wafer, give me your loaf because your wafer isn't broken they broke the bread. In the book of Isaiah it says, in that day seven women, here's a pro- here's a prophetic word. I'm going to I'm going to talk about this. In the book of Isaiah it says, in that day seven women will take home one man and say, "Let us eat our own bread and wear our own clothes, but let us be called by your name." Hello seven women. Hello seven churches of Asia. This is speaking of the seven this is speaking of the seven churches of Asia. This is speaking of you hello church, that says we want your name but we don't want your bread because your bread is broken. I don't want broken bread. And we don't want a broken life because if it's broken, it means I have to share it with somebody else. I have to share my life with somebody else. Give me a wafer. Don't, I don't want a broken life. I want my own bread. I don't want to share what's, with, what's mine with the world. We want to wear our own clothes, be in our own covering. We don't want to wear your clothes. We don't want to come up under your co- covering, your covering. Hello apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. We'd rather cover ourselves and move out under the covering. We want our own covering. In Acts 13, Paul, and I'm closing with this. In Acts 13, Paul goes to a certain city and they do four things. And the last thing they do is pray. He says, continue in the apostles' doctrine. Continue in fellowship. Continue in breaking of bread. And the last thing is what? Prayer. And so they go, and Paul is speaking. They go in a certain city, and there's preaching, and, they're, and, he, and, and, and there's this woman that's possessed in the crowd while they're preaching. And said, Listen to these men, they're men of God. Crazy lady always interrupting while he's trying to preach. But it's interesting because she's possessed, but she's saying, listen to him. And then, listen, and then they, so in agreement, you wouldn't believe how many times the devil will take you off course by getting in agreement until you believe in him and then take you a little bit off. But the one thing that this demonic lady wouldn't get in agreement with is in their prayer. And as soon as they went to pray, it said a spirit, of divination, rose up in this woman. And Paul got annoyed and dealt with it. The word divination there, that's translated to divination, is actually in the original language, pythos, where we get the word python. Now what's what's unique about a python is that a python will constrict its prey without breaking the bones. And it will take the life out of something without affecting the structure. Those churches, those believers in Christ that do not pray... He has constricted the church and he's pulled the life out of the church. Yet it still functions with all its structure. There are dead churches that look good but are not alive on this inside. I want you to understand that God is calling us. He's calling us to be devoted to the apostles' doctrine. Here here it comes. To be devoted to fellowship to be devoted to the breaking of bread and to be devoted to prayer. If we're a church that has this, we're a church that has life and structure, not structure without life. If we're going to live a life that counts for the kingdom of God, we must be devoted to these things. If we're going to be pleased Him in our world.